This week on Heads and Tails, we interview Tyler Belanger, who is the co-founder of Ignite Gym in Ontario. Their mission is to enrich cognitive fitness through the use of their tutoring and therapeutic programs, as well as their courses and brain workouts. In this episode, Tyler tells us why the only thing worse than skipping leg day is neglecting to exercise the muscle between your ears. This is Kevin Som, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Thanks for tuning in to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm interviewing Tyler Belanger. He's the um, co-founder of Ignite Gym, and their mission is to enrich cognitive fitness. Um, so, Tyler, can you just explain um, Ignite's gym mission and how you guys came up with the idea and kind of how you got into working on concussion return to play protocols. Oh, okay. So our mission really is we want to utilize the benefits of physical activity during the learning process and specifically to improve things like processing speed, working memory, uh, memory capacity, problem-solving skills, uh, and creativity imagination. So we, we wrote down a couple of questions when we were, um, before we go out and, and give our seminars and that, and what, what it is that we're trying to accomplish and, and put down on paper. And it's uh, number one, like, are there objective ways to measure cognitive fitness? Uh, number two, what are the best ways to improve cognitive fitness without the use of drugs or interventions with a psychologist or mental health care professional only because those individuals are expensive, hard to get into? And you don't see them on a day-to-day basis. You know, where else can we service mental health um, in the community? And where can we create, you know, better access to that to that help? And the third one would be, uh, what can we do on a daily basis to improve intelligence and overall mental health? So those are kind of our driving questions as we're um, as we go along in our in our programming. And you guys had an education background, right? You were both uh, in the school system. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I graduated with uh, with a teaching degree, and I spent about three to four years working as a as a substitute teacher, trying to find full time work. Before I was basically fed up with how a P, a physical education class was was running, and I wanted to change how it was running. Uh, another class I had on that day's schedule was uh, it was called Locally Developed English, and it was an English class for individuals who couldn't read or write, but we had to make them work on these workbooks, so it was in the curriculum. And I wasn't allowed to go off book at all. I wasn't allowed to take them into the gym, um, run them around a little bit, play a game, then possibly do some work. I wasn't allowed to go off book at all so between those two scenarios is that because you were a substitute and not a full-time or oh no that's just no it's how it is yeah it's just how it is uh one of the reasons one of the reasonings i got from the principal was it's an english class you can't make them participate in physical education because they're signed up for english class right it's not a it's not a pe class so if you take them to the gym and they don't want to run they don't have to I said, okay. okay. Right. <laughs> so what do you do? Yeah, exactly. You know, you're you're dealing with kids who know that they can't read and write, and 
you're limited in your creativity with what it is that you're allowed to do to get them to want to read and write. Right. You know? um, so these and, are kids who had some sort of like learning disability. Yeah. Yeah. They, they fell through the cracks. They got passed along and, um, and you know, they're just kind of stuck in, in this, in this class and they really difficult for them to get out of it. All right. So this, so that was really kind of what sparked uh, the idea for ignite gym. Yeah. One of them. The other one was we've always were running um, as part of um, CrossFit Catalyst. We were always running smaller pilot projects within that. So we would run a group like, um, you know, a reading, a six-week reading program for, for kids five to five to eight. So on a Saturday, the kids would come in. We'd put them through some rumble-tumble stuff. They'd roll around. They'd do push-ups and calisthenics stuff. And then, we'd, and then they'd bring a book of their own. And then for the last 15, 20 minutes, they'd sit down and they'd read the book. And we were getting lots of participation in that program. Um, we were getting participation in, a, in one very similar but with math. And we were just getting kids to participate in their homework, which has been a struggle, I think, um, for a lot of parents and for a lot of teachers. And so combining that, you know, the success with that program, Plus, we were working with a couple of autistic individuals, and we were seeing some awesome results there with you know, just working on physical, physical fitness and teaching them new skills, combined with you know, our, our frustrations and, and almost borderline depression with working inside the school system. It kind of sparked us to say, hey, this is more than a program. This is something that we can, you know, we can create a real change and impact a lot of, uh, a lot of lives in a better way. So let's go do it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. Um, all right, so can you kind of take us into what you guys do? I know you guys do concussion baseline testing, right, and also return to plays, and you work with kids with autism and TBI. I think when I talked to you at the Working Wounded Games, um, you were saying that you work with uh, chemotherapy patients also because they have brain fog and and I guess the main question I'm trying to ask right now is like, why should someone improve their cognitive fitness? Because, you know, I haven't really heard of anything like your program, you know, until I met you. Okay. And th and that to me is, I, it's, it's a, I, it's a compliment, but I'm also a little bit scared because uh, I'm, I'm surprised that something like this, you know, is not around. Um, I'm happy though to, to be able to, kind of forge the way if, if I'm the only one doing it. But um, there are a lot of people that are doing it, I think, in, in their own way. Uh, I think we are the only ones who've kind of connected these dots so far at an early stage. Like back in 2010, we started connecting these dots and, and kind of setting up how a session with an individual with autism or brain injury should be run. And so what we did was we created this platform almost so if a brain injury, so one of the reasons why our program gained success was because we were able to get individuals to participate in their therapies more willingly, and when they participate in therapies, obviously they get better, right? Right. Okay. So, so like the almost the exercise component is the incentive to, you know, do what they have to do for therapy-wise, or is that, or is yeah. the exercise a part of the therapy? It, exercise was definitely a part of the therapy because these individuals had to rebound and improve their energy. 
mainly it was like a lot of energy, especially with the Kivo patients. They had fatigue, uh, low energy, that type of stuff. So doing doing workouts, doing um, CrossFit style workouts were were definitely something that improved their energy level, as we know. Um, and while you know the benefits of weightlifting and anaerobic exercise and aerobic training on the brain are they're widely reported, the effects of functional fitness on retention and adherence have yet to be truly studied, right? Right. Um, but clients, again, who come to our gym, they like the cognitive exercise. They like the interventions that we, we put out there. They even like their therapist, their regulated healthcare professionals. Let's say a speech pathologist has a worksheet that they want to be completed. Well, they'll give that to me, and during the lesson section of our of our format, so uh, they'll do a warm up. We'll talk about what it is that we're doing. We'll take that worksheet and we'll kind of do a pre activity with it. Let's say it's math, for example, and uh, it's multiplication is the skill that they're working on. What we'll do is we'll break that down and we'll do something like skip counting really, really fast skip counting by twos or skip counting by threes just to get the individual primed and feeling good about answering things correctly and in a fast way. Because when an individual answers things quickly and fast, they perceive themselves to be smarter. Right. So there's a confidence element to the, all this too. Yeah. So if that is not in place or if you don't do that activity before you just go ahead and teach somebody a lesson where the lesson is usually, you know, you're learning something new. There's a lot of failure attached to that. So an individual who has a brain injury is going to go and recognizes that they do. They have this gap between who they were and who they are now, and they have all this learning to catch up on, but no one gives them an opportunity to um, get correct answers and um, utilize their intelligence of where they're at now like really quickly. Right. They're just going to be reminded, oh, I have a brain injury. I don't know this. You have to sit there and teach me how to do this all over again. And that's extremely demoting. Right. That's interesting you say that. And it actually reminds me of my own brain injury. Um, yeah. Because I know when I was in the hospital and I, after I had just had brain surgery, some doctor walks in and asked me to count down by threes from 100. And I, I couldn't do it. Like I was – you know, trying, I think I got like the first, it was like, uh, 97, uh, 94. <laughs> and after that I was done. I like, right. I had no idea what was going on. So I, then I got upset with myself. I was frustrated and I was like, I, I like felt, you know, I just felt bad. And from a confidence standpoint, I'm like, all right, I definitely have a, a long way to go to get back into school again. So yep. yeah, that's, that's cool that you guys try. Well, to, yeah. Yeah, and and that's not something that you, you recognize and it's not something I have to show you on a test I and mean, you know, that you have a limitation there. So it's just like, you know, putting 300 pounds on a bar with somebody who can only squat 200 and ask them to do it. Right. You know what I mean? It just, it doesn't make sense. Exactly, and yeah. just because it's not, you're not lifting weight, you are putting on cognitive load on that individual. And it is, it is invisible, but it's still extremely, can be damaging emotionally. Like it takes a huge hit, like you said, to your confidence. Right. And if you don't have, the mindset, you know, especially an athletic mindset that says, I'm going to I'm going to grind through this. I can get better at this. I know I can. If you've never experienced that before, that kind of adversity, it's going to crush you. Right. Cool. Um, I know on your website, you have a quote by Greg Glassman. Um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it basically talks about how like CrossFit 
you know, can improve the mind, right? Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at the the combination of all all those the three combinations of weightlifting, gymnastics, and conditioning. Um, the benefits of of it being of why we're using the word CrossFit in this in this uh, in this discussion is because of all the new learning that comes with it. Uh, learning how to do cleans and snatches and thrusters and like the technicality to, of all of it, or yeah, yeah, the definitely the learning how to do all those things, sequencing those patterns. You know, there are a lot of fit, we'll call it brain training programs out there that are getting people to sit down on machines and increase their heart rate, and that is fine. That is a that is a, a better than not doing it at all. Right, you will get the BDNF secretion from sitting down on a machine and increasing your heart rate or walking on a treadmill. What you won't get, though, are opportunities to access executive functioning, you know, go through the scientific method. What happens if I, if I shoot my knees out? What happens if I am on my toes instead of on my heels? What happens, you know what I mean? If you, yeah. don't, if you don't get a chance to improve body awareness. When you're you don't just get like doing the mundane, like walking on a treadmill or riding a stationary bike. Yeah, you're definitely not activating uh, nearly enough of the brain as if you were to get into a class, learn new movements, you know, push yourself through anaerobic threshold. Right. Um, you know, and then on top of that, we're putting people through cognitive puzzles, you know, asking them to do um, word scrambles or um, asking them to do word searches or simple puzzles just like that just to start. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I work at a physical therapy facility part-time and we, you know, some of the doctors prescribe return to place for some younger kids, but it always starts on um, the bike for 40 minutes and then it goes to the treadmill and then eventually they start doing, um, you know, more athletic type movements. But like you said, like they don't have to use their brains really. It's just like a very mundane kind of like you know, just going through the motions and doesn't really replicate what a normal day would be like in either school or sport. So right. that was really what intrigued me about your return to play protocol. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of CrossFit. I've been doing it for four years. You're a fan of CrossFit, but yep. the way that it is able to fit in so nicely and to have the, the puzzles that you have included in these brain that we'll, we'll get to a little bit later um, I think it's it just makes sense, you know. It makes more sense than you know f watching someone's heart rate go up and seeing like what that you know if that gives them a headache or something. Yeah, exactly. No, there's definitely a novelty um, component there with CrossFit, but um, outside CrossFit, there's a lot of benefit too. Like if you just take um, an agility or plyometric series, we uh, for example can place two agility ladders side by side place some cones with different colors on the outside of them and ask that individual to read the colors and put their foot on the ladder depending on what, which color is, is which. So, right. um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can t make exercise novel and throw a cognitive component into it and make them think. Uh, you just have to get, you just have to want to, first of all. Um, you have to know how and then you got to put in a lot more planning than, 40 minutes on the treadmill, 10 minutes on, on the bike. Right. 
right. and especially in sport too, because it's so reactionary. No matter what sport you're playing, you're you're usually reacting to some sort of you know outside stimulus. So if you go, there's no outside stimulus on a stationary you know bike or on a treadmill. And like I'm just thinking of football because I'm a football guy, and like th- you know you have to constantly like cut and move and dive and spin and do all sorts of stuff. Like you don't know what's coming at you. But it's hard to replicate that in, you know, a, I don't know, like a machine, you know, exercise <laughs> setting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's great. Can you take us through kind of like a return to pl- or like a baseline testing and then kind of say someone got a concussion, they went to your gym for the baseline. How would that work? Um, okay. Like step by step, like even onto on the field when they got hurt and then what, what they do after that. Sure. Um, it's, it's funny cause you're going to get two different types of clients. You're going to get one client who has taken the baseline and those individuals who've taken the baseline are well versed in what the protocols are supposed to be and what, and what's supposed to happen next. And then you get the individuals who don't have the baseline, but do, you know, I, so let's say the individual who hasn't had a baseline, what normally happens in our community, um, there is a trainer on the field, they'll take them off, they'll say, you know, go to your doctor. They'll go to emergency because the doctors take, it takes forever to get an appointment to see the doctor. So they'll go to emergency. The emergency uh, doesn't have time or because of triage, you know, they're put at the bottom of the waiting list and they're just hanging around anyways, even right. though there's nothing really for a doctor to do other than just say, hey, go go rest and right. wake up every so, so many hours. But what we had uh, we had them starting to refer clients to us so they'll say in the, in the emergency room they'll give them our card and say call these guys and we'll get parents sometimes saying my son has a concussion can he do some testing and you know it's like do you want me to tell you he has a concussion or you know what do you want me to tell you what do you want me to do? right you know, is it is it like therapeutic <laughs> like you're going to make him yeah help him heal or yeah so what they don't understand is that what we're trying the reason the baseline is in place is because we need comparative data between their fun, their normal daily functioning and how they're functioning now. Um, so if they still have symptoms of headaches and they're not going to school, there's nothing to do other than just rest. And so we've taken a few of those clients on and said and mapped out, you know, their rest and their and help them kind of identify this cognitive load piece. And you know, if you can, if you can walk for five minutes, and you normally go for walk for like hour walks, you can walk for five minutes and not have a headache. Well, then do that on day one. You know, right. Go. So, the, can you explain a little bit in more depth what the cognitive load is? I know I was looking this sure. up on the yeah. the documents you sent me. Okay. So, cognitive load. What we're talking about is the um, amount of work that your brain has to do given a certain function. So we've identified 10 cognitive domains, very similar to uh, 10 physical domains. And of those 10 domains, if an activity has more than one of them, so let's say you're juggling while walking on a treadmill and reading a book, that has high... impressive. Yeah, and it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Cognitive load is extremely high. Where it gets tricky, though, is a person who does that every day, that's not going to be hard for them. You know, if I wake up every morning, juggle, read a book on a treadmill, 
That's not co- that's normal daily activity for me. So as we educate individuals on what each operation is, so each cognitive domain skill, we then look, ask them, you know, okay, on a, on a daily level, is reading the newspaper, is that something that you uh, normally do or is that something outside your comfort zone? And that's where it becomes difficult because everybody's different. Right. So what we do, though, is we recognize environments that would weigh cognitive load, especially in after concussion, noise, things that are noisy, things that are bright, um, things that will increase your heart rate. If you have to remember uh, five names instead of only three names when you're in a conversation or trying to listen to a really long podcast and you can't remember (laughs) all the information, Uh, if you're trying to watch a movie, you know, uh, those are all the types of things that can increase the load. So um, stress can increase the load, the number of uh, tasks that you have to complete, the number of steps in one task. Let's say you're putting together furniture and there's a manual, you know, it's 300 pages long. That's going to weigh a heavier load than just clicking two pieces together. Gotcha. So it's, it's, it's that idea there. All right. So, yeah, going back to an individual still who, is, uh, who hasn't had the baseline. So what we do then, we, we give them this tracking sheet. And the tracking sheet is, is gold because we, in that tracking sheet, we ask them to identify the tasks that they're doing. Let's say uh, watching a movie. Okay, great. How much time it takes. So let's say they watch in, they're watching this movie and it's uh, the movie they've seen before. If it's a movie they've seen before, it's going to have a lower cognitive load than if it's a brand new movie. It's a movie they've seen before. They watched it for 30 minutes. At the 30-minute mark, they started to get a headache. So what, about, what I asked them to do is write down the difficulty of watching that movie. And it's relative on a scale of 1 to 5, we'll say watching a familiar movie is a 1. And they got a headache after 30 minutes. And their action or their, uh, their treatment was go into a dark room, turn the lights off, and, and have a nap. And then what we do then is take that number, that 30 minutes of a familiar movie, and say, okay, if, if you can do 30 minutes of an activity and get a headache, well, let's look at doing 20 minutes of an activity because we, want, we don't want to push them into headache or into symptomville, right? We want them to participate in an activity. Symptom-free. Symptom-free and stop so that tomorrow – we can increase maybe by two minutes, three minutes, something like that. Right, and that actually reminds me of CrossFit too because it's just like redlining. Like if you're in the middle of a workout, you can't go like 100 miles an hour out the gate because you're not going to last. You need to get to that point where you're like close to, you know, like that point of no return but don't quite get there so then you can, you know, continually improve as you go. Yeah, exactly. And this is the education piece of our of our baseline or protocol heavily weighs on just teaching them this part, understanding what cognitive load is, similar to, you know, what, what physical load is, but it's invisible. And we normally take it for granted. You know, I can I can watch a movie, then I can read a book, then I can do a test, then I can do a puzzle, you know, all in one day. Right. And that's and that's normal. But what happens after an injury, all those things just pile up on, on you and, and you need a break. You need to rest. Right. You can't do that anymore. 
And uh, so it's, it's about educating these individuals on that and then finding out areas where they can get to, stop before they get symptoms, so that we can increase it slowly um, each day or biweekly. All right. So that, yeah. that was for a patient who or a client who did not have a baseline. Right, because there's no we – can't, we can't compare them to anything. We don't have a, a – Exactly. Comparison. So what's your communication with the doctors after they go through this protocol symptom-free? After they go symptom-free, uh, then it really is up to the doctor, up to the individual, whether they feel they're ready to go. Okay. If they've gone symptom-free and they're, and they're uh, doing normal daily activities, what, what then I'll say is once you're symptom-free and you're, you know, you're going to school and you're doing all the things you think you do, come back in, get a baseline done so that we, can, we have information on um, what, what you were normally like Right, that for way, the future. Yep. Yeah. All yeah. right. So then, um, so you want to talk about the? Yeah, let's the, talk about someone with a baseline. So, okay. do you have like a set, you know, number of um, like predetermined exercises and uh, puzzles and stuff like that that you use for everyone, or yeah. is it also individually based? It's um, for athletes. It's similar, uh, depending on age. It varies a little bit. For non-athletes, we have uh, we have to make some adjustments. So um, there's four physical tests, then four cognitive tests, and they, the first physical and cognitive tests are the easiest, we'll say, or the light aerobic stage. The second gets a little bit harder. The third gets a little bit harder. Um, and then the last one is the hardest, which is an interval-type training physical activity with um, the Stroop test. And the Stroop test, I'm sure you're familiar with that. It's where you have to read... Um, the word and it's in a colored ink. So let's say the word is is a color. So let's say the word is blue, right. but it's written in red ink. Okay. You have, yep. you have to use inhibition to say, I have to say the color red, not the word blue. Right. So you your brain automatically recognizes the word first, and you have to say, nope, I can't say the word blue. I must say the color of the ink, which is red. Gotcha. So that's that one there can cause some some pretty big headaches, especially after. Um, a shuttle run type of physical work. Right, yeah. Just when I did that um, scrambled Helen, I, what I did was three rounds. I did a, a minute and a half on the bike, and then I did the stationary bike, and then 21 <laughs> kettlebell swings. And twenty. And instead of pull-ups, I did push-ups because I had already done like 60 pull-ups before that. So, um, And then I did – then it was a – I had to – there's a, a bunch of letters, uh, I don't know, how, about 20 letters, and I had to come up with six words after each round using those letters. Yeah. And definitely towards the end, when I was getting more fatigued, it was becoming harder and harder to think of more letters. There's like right. a million words you can come up with with all those <laughs> yeah, letters. But right. Well, that's it. And that is frontal lobe. That's executive functioning. And our frontal lobe acts like a teacher in a classroom full of five-year-olds would all have their hand up for an answer, right? And right. how do you pick? Which one you're gonna you're you're gonna call upon, and when you have a um, when you have a an optimal functioning frontal lobe, you can pick and choose and prioritize on who you're gonna pick. But when you know again cognitive load increases, let's say your heart rate's up, you're stressed, you had an injury or or or, or whatnot, that becomes more difficult. And right. if we can measure the difference between when you're what you normally are and then if you've had an injury and we can see that there is a difference 
and we all it says is you need more rest. That's, so that, yeah, that's that's the the gold standard for healing in a brain injury, right? It's just rest. So you decrease the cognitive load. Yeah, just de- decrease the cognitive load over the course of the of the next four eight hours to seventy two hours or whatever, and and then you come back in and and try it again. And again, as long as symptoms are are free, they haven't gotten any worse, and we can we can slowly um, work back up to our original score. Right. So so our baseline, yeah. So our baseline, they'll they'll come in. An athlete will go through the four physical tests and four cognitive tests. Okay. A non-athlete will will modify it a little bit. We'll we'll simulate the environment to the individual. So I had I had a retired um, a retired teacher come in and he f- fell off his uh, his roof cleaning out the gutter and and this is a man who uses golf as uh, as his as his exercise, his exercise right does <laughs> so, he walk or does he uh, have a cart he, no he walks he oh, okay walks. at least he walks <laughs> yeah exactly so um, obviously if you put that guy through a, a shuttle run you know Tabata let's just say we put him through Tabata shuttle runs so Tabata is uh, 20 seconds on 10 seconds yeah, off exactly or four off. minutes. Yeah, and we put him through a 5, 10, 15 shuttle run and see how many times he can do that in 20 seconds, rest for 10, and put him through three rounds of that. Good chance we're going to see some concussion-like symptoms arise, right. even if he doesn't have a concussion. Yeah, he's going to yam just because he's <laughs> out of shape. Yeah. So we got to modify that environment to match what he normally does. You know, what would be his light aerobic um, – his light day? His light day would be walking around the house. Right. Um, more than that, walking up a set of stairs would be a little bit more difficult. Um, walking up the stairs, maybe holding onto a med ball, simulating carrying groceries. And then something like yard work where you're bending over, picking stuff up, carrying it across, bending, you know, putting it down. Let's just say gardening. So we, we would use uh, kettlebells. So pick them up, walk five meters, put him down, spin around, grab something else, you know, that type of thing. Right, just like he would be doing if he was just walking around the house. Yeah, right. yeah. So we modify the environment for that, for that non-athlete, for that, uh, for that individual as well. So after they ha- we have the baseline and the individual receives a concussion, they call, they have, they, we give them a reference card, and by all means, you know, Go to your doctor first. That's that's important, um, just to get it, uh, you know, an assessment. Because I'm not, I don't want to diagnose. I'm not allowed to diagnose, nor do I want that uh, responsibility. So the diagnosis should definitely come from the physician. The physician then is aware of our protocols and is very willing to hand over the individual to us to take care of and to. Um, and to program, you know, and, and to identify the areas of cognitive load and say, okay, uh, going to school for half a day on Tuesday, the next day, maybe go to school for a half a day and go for a walk. And if you don't have any symptoms, try something, try increasing it on Thursday. So that's, we're almost like writing a program for them. Right. You know? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so did you model this protocol off of other pre-existing models, or like how how is one protocol? Is it like are they accredited by some sort of you know organization, or does it basically just you just need a doctor to prescribe the that particular protocol? 
Um, we, in our community, we used, um, we had a doctor come to town, and uh, Dr. Tater was his name. He uh, runs a, a website called Parachute, which is an injury prevention website in Canada. And their protocols um, are very generic, right? So it's like day one, light activity. And this is a return to play protocol. It's, you know, day one, uh, light activity. Okay. Step or stage two, um, sport-specific type stuff. Stage three, no contact. Uh, stage four, go and play. Right. But those are just stages. Like, how do you... How does an individual know that they're actually ready? You know, and, and the SCAT three because it's because it's only a, a sliver of of a couple of neurocognitive tests. It doesn't. It's not going to catch a, the full picture of the individual, right. especially if the individual is highly intelligent. Yeah, they can kind of work around it. Yeah, they can totally work around it. And if there's no physical component, how do you know that they're ready to go play football if you don't test the physical component? Exactly. It yeah, doesn't make sense. So we knew that, okay, the SCAT-3 is definitely important for physicians, so they're familiar with it. So that's going to be in our baseline. Over and above that, though, we need to do our own neurocognitive test and our own physical test so that if we're on a return-to-play protocol, what they have to do is within a 24-hour span, they have to pass each test. So uh, let's say... They've gone two days symptom-free. They're at school, uh, but they're still not at practice or, or any. They're not at play yet. So we'll do day one on a Wednesday. They pass day one. They move on to day two. They pass day two. They move on to day three in, like, within the next 24 hours. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. So back-to-back-to-back testing. If they pass all four days within four days, then you know that as, as we gave them an, um, a clear measure that so far no symptoms means you know you're as you're as good as 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 the testing shows and now it's your decision after you get clearance from the from the doctor we give the doctor all of our documents and we ultimately say they've they've passed this with uh, a certain percentage of margin of error obviously like if they're within five meters or ten meters from their row test then it's a pass. Right. But if they're 100 meters off, then no. Right. So basically um, there's like there's broad guidelines that are accepted and you yeah. tried to like mold, you know, your protocol into these broad guidelines to make them fit, right? Well, yeah, and just to give the parents some 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 measurable data, something tangible to look at and say right. rather than just ask the kid how do how do you feel today? Oh, I feel fine. Okay, well, you should go to practice. Right. And the kid runs through practice and throws up. Yeah. Right? No, well, yeah, it's it's great. It, it, it makes more and more sense to, you know, your protocol the more I think about it. So I, I, I really like that. Do you think that there's any real way to ever know if a concussion's fully healed or not based off of this return of plays? Or is it really – because a lot of athletes, you know, they hide – everything they hide their symptoms they you know they're they're not honest with the process yeah there's definitely an element there of of lying that we just can't um we can't Can't control right no like after every physical test they have to while they're breathing heavy they have to do a symptoms checklist 
Right, because technically yeah. they could just half-ass everything and, and then try to go balls out after they get a concussion, and then they'll probably do better <laughs> yeah. than what they did, yeah. High, high school kids don't think that far in advance, though. <laughs> they don't try and they don't try and sandbag their their uh, their baseline just so that if they get a concussion they can <laughs> they can it's, play. It's funny you say that though because I <laughs> actually interviewed a uh, a girl who played soccer. She's going to be on the podcast soon, um, either before or after your episode, and she was saying that like her friends and herself would like bomb the impact test. <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning, so when they got a concussion, they would be able to go back. And this girl okay. has been also suffering from post-concussion symptoms for the last four years. So to all the athletes who, you know, might be listening to this, thinking about, you know, half-assing their, their baseline, you could deal with post-concussion symptoms for four years if you want to choose to do that. But Yeah, no, I don't think so because the uh, even if they do lie on their symptoms checklist, what happens is – and we had a kid do that, right? So we had a kid – uh, day one, day two, whatever. But so, so the protocol then uh, has a physical test, passes them to check their physical symptoms. And so let's say they all rate their symptoms as zero. They don't have any. Immediately after that, we have them do three balance tests, which you'll find at the bottom of the SCAT 3. And usually those balance tests, if they don't show something, you know, if, they don't, if they've lied on their test, those balance tests will not lie. Right. Unless it had this case yesterday, an individual is highly practiced and skilled in slacklining. This guy slacklines with his with his family a lot. Do you know what slacklining is? No, I have no idea. Okay, so, all right. So slacklining is tying a piece of nylon rope to some trees. Yeah, and walking on it. So okay. basically, <laughs> I said no. It was called that. I've seen it. I... Yeah, basically, best balance in the world. So he. Uh, he passed obviously passed his uh, his his balance test, and then when we got into the, the cognitive test right after that, so it goes physical test, rate your skills or rate your symptoms, do the balance test, then do the cognitive test, and then you know during the cognitive test his face goes white. <laughs> yeah, can't can't, can't fake can't that. Can't hide that one. No, no, no. So even though there is an element there where they can kind of trick you, so far. Uh, the testing, the way it's been set up, you cannot, um, you can't, pa- you can't pass it if you're not fully functioning, fully healed. Right. Well, not fully healed because again, I'll get to that question about being fully healed in a sec. But they're not ready to go back onto the field. Right. And it, and what's really nice is it's showing that individual, you know, you're not ready. Look, look how you're feeling right now. Is this normal? And then you know, coming around and saying, you know what? No, I feel like I feel like crap. I do feel dizzy. Maybe I am not ready. And getting a high school kid who has everything on the line, right, to play football, it's their life. Right. It's it's why they wake up, it's why they go to school. I for was him, once that kid, yep. Yeah. And for him to say, Yeah, I should sit out this week, I mean that is a win. For sure, yeah. Right? I had the worst headache of my freaking life, and it felt like my brain was bouncing in my skull. And I actually told my friends that I was going to die that night because my head hurt me so bad, and that <laughs> wasn't enough to let, make me not play. So yeah, but if but if you put them through a, a scenario, and it's you know it's it's intense enough that gets the symptoms to arise, but not as as um, not as strenuous as a game would be, then it starts to open up some eyes. Right. You're like, okay, well, if I feel this crappy and shitty during... It scares them a little bit. They need yeah, that. It yeah, it scares them. So going back to your question about if I, uh, if, it, 
if I tr- if it's truly possible to know when a concussion is fully healed, well, it would depend again on severity and age and how the individual treats the first one. Right. So the more severe you know, the more severe, the greater chance for effects to linger on long enough. And in your case, where the individual is now operating at a new normal or just accepts symptoms like headaches as being, you know, that now I just have a headache all the time. Right. That's not a good thing. <laughs> if they just accept these symptoms now. Yeah, accepts feeling shitty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as for age, again, um, so cognitive impairments in executive functioning could reveal themselves when they reach adulthood, you know, uh, but environmental and developmental factors do have a role. But uh, if they're really young, like 13, 12, 13, you know, those executive functioning skills aren't fully developed yet, but they're also still acting like kids. And you can also still blame it on them being a teenager too if they're acting out or if they're... Exactly, uh, they're yeah, it's hard to... Yeah, but it isn't until adulthood when you start realizing that they're still acting like teenagers that... You know, you have to go back and say, well, you know what? They did have a concussion and we didn't treat it and, and, and. Exactly. That's why I'm so immature still. That's right. That's why (laughs) I had a big knockout too. And I blame my immaturity on my knockout. There you go. Yeah. I'm going to tell my girlfriend that. (laughs) (laughs) But but I I feel being symptom-free while operating at or as close to your pre-injury functioning is all an individual really needs to forget that they've been injured Yeah, and, and move on. No, I, I agree. Um, okay, can you start talking about uh, how you guys came up with the idea for the brain wad? So every day you guys post a, a workout that also has some sort of cognitive um, testing in there. So can is this like um, – uh, do you think this has some preventative qualities as well as therapeutic uh, qualities? And why should someone follow this programming over, you know, the main site maybe for, for CrossFit programming? Well, I mean, I don't think they should. I, don't, <laughs> I think individuals need to add some puzzles into their, into their day or this stuff into their programming. So as like a supplement to what they're yeah. already doing, right? Yeah, not over and above. I mean, we, we, can't, we can't even compete with, with how well CrossFit has been – how well it's been doing for making people healthy and fit. Right. Uh, but what hasn't been out there yet is the, the evidence on if we can improve cognitive fitness so much as to eliminate – Alzheimer's or improve uh, uh, memory or overcome a brain injury. We're working on that, and that's kind of where we're going with this brain wad. If we post this stuff and people participate in it, you know, that's that's exactly what we need. We need people to participate in these interventions as much as possible in order to show some kind of positive change. Right, like they could say, like, I did this for the last 20 years and I didn't get, you know, Alzheimer's. Especially, yeah. it'd be interesting with someone like me who's had so many, has so much head trauma in their life. Like, I'm sure down the road I'm going to have some sort of issue. And yeah. Say I incorporate this into my workout and I end up, you know, fine, live until 80 or whatever and I never had any cognitive deficits. So. Right. And way back when, well, I think it was 2011, uh, maybe it was 12, but I emailed, you know, are you familiar with Chris Nowitzki? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sports Legacy Institute, now it's called yeah. something else. It's like, I I forget, like, they changed the name recently, but yeah, Sports Legacy Institute. Yeah. So I emailed him 
a question that I had. And reviewing some of the studies, like the Nun study, are you familiar with that study? With what one? The Nun study. N-U-N-N? Yeah. I think I I remember seeing the name. I can't remember, like, what the study was about off the top of my head, but... Um, There was that study and there was a London cab driver study. And what those two studies show was was the the routines that they went through every single day weighed um, a very strong, almost almost like defense um, against Alzheimer's or any neurodegenerative disease on the processes that were used every single day. Right. So... Every single day, these nuns had their routine down, and they always did the same thing every day for years and years and years. Those processes in the brain were resistant to Alzheimer's, even though signs of Alzheimer's were on the brain during autopsies. They just never like saw the effects, you're saying? Right. Yeah, right. so those processes never were affected by Alzheimer's. They didn't forget to do whatever that what is the process. I forget what it was. Same thing with the London cab drivers. They still had the map intact even though let's say they forgot how to brush their teeth or forgot what a toothbrush looked like right so if we're looking at individuals doing something every single day and that procedural memory or even the generic memory for facts and things like that semantics if we utilize those things every single day just like if we strengthen a muscle we work out we're going to get strong and we're going to be anti-fragile to those things right so what happens to most individuals, though, uh, after they get a job? They, they settle. Stop. Yeah. Right? Usually, you, start, you settle. Uh, you stop learning new things. And look at your grandparents now. The internet and the computers are, are the devil. They don't get it. And they don't want to get it. Right. Right? Um, so you can get crusty in your old age and not want to learn anything. Um, but learning new things is extremely important. So we want to generate interest around that. We also want to generate interest around um, doing puzzles every single day. And we want to generate education around what these puzzles can do to specific parts of your brain because without asking the question why, some people just won't do it. If we can't answer the question why, you know, if someone asks it, why am I doing math? Well, yeah, well, it's like with anything. Yeah, why should yeah. I do this? Yeah, yeah and that's a, it's going to be a hard question to to ask. But if we can make it fun first, you know, then they'll do it. Right, because then they might just do it because it's fun as opposed to, yeah, the why. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's their why because it's that's fun. That's their yeah. why, right? Yeah, and that's, how, and that's where we start. We start with play. We start with interest. And then as we go along, we start to make connections between, okay, um, math can improve or participating in puzzles that have a math component can improve computation, which is your ability to generate um, what what is needed? What what order of operation is needed to complete this puzzle? Do I have to add, then subtract? Do I have to uh, multiply? Then you know, what I mean, it's the yep. about choosing what type of op- uh, operation you're using for the for to solve the problem. The old PEMDAS, please ex- yeah, excuse yeah, me, exactly. Darren Sally. PEMDAS, yeah. exactly. Then there's the calculation part of the brain, which says it's it's basically the counting piece. So in a math problem, not only do you have to identify what it is that you're doing for operation, but then, and after you've identified that, you have to count properly. And our evaluation then on that, whether a person is getting better, is we start with processing speed, right? Can they do it faster? 
Uh, we do it with accuracy. Can they do it? Can they get them all right? Um, and then the third one is, can they do it right? Can they do it fast? And can they do it under some kind of interference, whether that's a delay in time, whether that's having multiple things happening at once? You know, we kind of increase the cognitive load once we know that they're able to handle something. Right. So if, you're, if I was to put you through a math workout right now, we would start off with some skip counting, you know, skip count by threes on the way up. We wouldn't Back have from you. hundred, what? We know, no, no, I, I don't no, want to, re, I don't want to relive, <laughs> I don't want to relive any horror, any horror moment. <laughs> we would do something you know you can do. Well, as long as you don't charge me $2,000 like uh, that doctor <laughs> wanted to, just for asking me to count down by three, I'm, I'm cool with it, so... I wish I could charge $2,000 for that. <laughs> yeah. This is your host, Kevin Som. I apologize for the technical difficulties that we experienced, but I figured this would be a good time to uh, plug our social media outlets. Um, so if you haven't done so yet, give us a follow on Instagram at Heads and Tails. That's heads as in your head, the letter N, then tail spelled T-A-L-E-S. Same thing on Twitter, only with a P-O-D at the end for podcast. Uh, give us a like on Facebook. And most importantly, uh, subscribe on iTunes to leave us a five-star review. Also, um, we're making the last final push for the Chianti Story um, fundraiser that we're doing to get him a, a Paralympic track strength and conditioning coach. Um, we're, we're very close to our goal, um, so you could find the information to, to donate on our GoFundMe page at headsandtails.org backslash Chianti. That's spelled K-I-O-N-T-E. Without further ado, back to the interview with Tyler Belanger. All right, so... I, I, I hear you now. We're all good. We're good to go. All right. So can you backtrack about yeah, no problem. Thirty seconds, maybe. Sure. So we're we're talking about your um, putting you through a math. Um, right. Yeah. 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 So after we we uh, put you through that pre activity of skip counting, something we know you can do, then we put you through um, the multiplication piece, and we say, okay, if you can do these ten questions all correctly, you know, accuracy. Then we're going to try this next 10, uh, it, but increasing your processing speed. So you got to try and do 10 in one minute or something like that. We'd add a time piece to it. Okay. And if you pass that one, then we go on to interference. So then we would say, okay, I'm going to show you this question. Then you're going to have to go do some wall balls. And when you come back, you have to answer the question without me showing you what it was. So say it was like uh, 10 times 3 plus 4. I show you that, I turn the page over, you go do some wall balls, maybe 10 of them, then you have to come back and without looking at that question again, remember the, yeah, remember, remember the question the... and then write it down. Yeah. All right, cool. So that would be our a delay or multiple task, our interference piece. And then we record all that stuff down. And then you have this, this piece of information that says, you know, I can do computation calculation, um, multiplication, uh, here's my accuracy, Here's my processing speed, and here's the interferences that I, w I was I was doing on this one worksheet. And I think what what I'm looking at doing is taking that information and creating almost like a value for the individual. Like if we can say like score, yeah, yeah. Like if we can say, um, you know, how you can put renovations on your house and increase the value on your house, right? And increase so, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I'd like to see is is that happen. You know, we're Already, the physical piece is already taken care of. Uh, already, people are, you know, you're using uh, wide tracking devices and, and apps 
to track your fitness levels and that's great you know yeah. that that should be increasing your value or your your stock now we want to look at not only can your job or your maybe even your income determine your value but so should your participation in cognitive interventions right. now whether whether I'm gonna you start Im- implementing this stuff into my my routine for sure yeah whether you have a, a head injury or, or a um, uh, you know before whether you've had um, familiarity with head injuries whether you've had a whole bunch of them or, or you're, you're just fine you know and those are the individuals that aren't you know gonna step up and say hey I'm gonna try this uh, right like I should do this yeah yeah because they don't feel they have anything wrong with them but like you said if you have that value like if you're increasing the value of your brain you know it's not yeah. just gonna help you in working out but it could help you in you know at work or at school or whatever you're doing yeah yeah, we'll have to show individuals that by participating in this, you know, you're going to get something out of it. Right. And that 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 piece there is going to be hard to convince some people, but again, we're committed to doing that. Cool. Um, we're coming up on time. You want to yeah. maybe say like one of the ultimate success stories that you've seen like through your your program and then also um, kind of talk about what your goals for the future are and plug your website, social media, any kind of any sure. of that stuff. Okay, well, I'll go real quick with the um, future real quick. Um, personally, I'd like to see more baseline testing, and I'd like to see it become integrated in term, into uh, the starting of the season. So you go and buy new cleats, you go buy new gloves, a new hockey stick. and Head over baseline. to Ignite Gym and get a baseline exactly. test. Exactly. Yeah. It's part of the checklist, man. Yeah. No, that's good. Step onto the field. Um, but I'd also like to see non-athletes value the baseline as well, as we just talked about. Um. So, you know, baselines are good. Baselines involving physical and cognitive components are better. Uh, and we don't know yet what best might be. You know, I think we're still, right. I think we're still searching from that. And I think uh, collaborative efforts between, you know, programs like yourself and, and us and, and other medical professions could really get together and do some really good things. Um, and so as far as success stories, um, for me, it's been uh, one football athlete who is, you know, really disappointed that the first game of the year he got a concussion and was upset that he was going to miss his entire senior year. And we were able to show within two weeks that he can do um, his, he can meet his baseline scores for everything and be symptom-free. Right, so he he had a baseline yep, test. Yeah, he had a baseline test. Um, first game of the season, hit hard. Was, was smart enough and his parents are smart enough to say, you know, yeah, let's go get checked out. And he did. He, he failed day one testing. So after concussion, I usually wait. I mandato- It's mandatory to wait two days before we even start testing at all after a hit. So he waited. So he got hit on Saturday. We didn't start testing until Wednesday. Um, passed, did I say? Yeah, he passed day one but failed day two. So then he had to wait a full day before we did day two again. And then after we waited that day, he passed day two, day three, day four, back to back. Uh, went and got his got his doctor's note. Did um, did one week of no contact practice. Still no symptoms. Then following week, so he was basically out two two almost three weeks. Third week, he went back. He went back in the game, and he was he was fine the rest of the season. Um, so I mean that that's nice to see. Um, 
And then the other one was um, an individual, not a retired teacher, but a university professor who hit his head on a sailboat while he was getting it ready for the season. And this was kind of, it would have ruined his summer because he not only wanted to go sailing, but he had to prep for next semester's courses and he couldn't look at a screen. So what we did was we took, and he didn't have a baseline. So what we did was we took his his cognitive load in in um, uh, his cognitive load assessment and said, okay, these are the tasks that you normally do. Um, let's put a time on some of these. You know, diminish the time, diminish the screen time. Uh, you're going to work for 20 minutes on this project here, and we kind of mapped out his whole summer. And he uh, he responded with an email saying, you know. Absolutely, thanks, because, you know, there's some days where I would have went too hard, I would have done too much, and I would have slowed prog- progress down. Nothing I'm going to do is ever going to speed up um, our symptoms. It's going to speed up recovery. What I will do, though, is prevent individuals from participating in activities that will slow them down in the recovery. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that their progress is slow. They don't go into that uh, symptom list and... Uh, yeah, and then they can heal. Awesome. Those are two great stories. Um, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you? Can you? What's your website and Instagram, Twitter, Facebook? Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> not on not on Instagram or Twitter or any of those things yet. I'll get into that soon. I think uh, I'm going to have to. But uh, www.ignitegym.com. Uh, I'll include that in the show notes. And um, you can email me at tyler at ignitegym.com. And, um, yeah, and that's, that's it for me as far as, uh, as far as faith. And there's our, our Facebook page too, Ignite Gym Facebook page. Um, but I know anytime that anybody has questions or something, a direct email is always the best. Uh, I like talking to people that way. Is it all right if I include your email in the show yeah, notes? Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll definitely do that. And I'm definitely going to start doing the brain was, uh, in my workout routine. Yeah. And I appreciate your you taking the time out of your day to do the interview. No problem. And uh, my, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Kev. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bye-bye. Alex. If you guys enjoyed that episode and want to learn more about Ignite Gym, be sure to check out headsandtails.org backslash podcast backslash 17. See you next week.